Beliefs are the operating system of your spirit, soul, and body. They operate below the surface of your life, determining your attitudes and actions. This message is the first in the series, Believable. The message is entitled, The Basics of Beliefs. Here is Pastor Dale O'Shields. I want to talk to you about some understanding related to your belief systems. What do you believe and what do you need to know about how to believe the right way? Because what you believe makes a big difference in your life. And uh, we're going to look at just a variety of aspects of this. Today I'm going to talk specifically kind of foundationally about the basics of belief because there are some foundational things you need to understand about your belief system before we actually get into some of these areas that you'll want to focus on in your life for your own growth. The word belief basically means this. It's, it's what you have accepted as being valid or what you've accepted as being true. You believe something because you said, I now accept this internally, whether you realize it or not, but I've accepted this as being valid and being true. And so now I'm going to make decisions or build my life on what I believe to be true, what I've accepted to be valid, what I've accepted to be true. And your beliefs matter a lot. Think about the world many, many centuries ago, millennia ago, when the basic mindset of the world was the world is flat, okay? And so because of that, no one, advent, no one uh, adventured much beyond their surroundings. Certainly when it went to ocean-going vessels, they would not only go out so far, if, if that at all, because they felt like we're not sure when the world is going to drop off. If the world is flat, there has to be an edge to it. And so we have to limit our exploration. And so for many, many years, exploration in our world was limited because of a belief that people had that the world was flat. And then we find folks coming along like Magellan and Columbus, and they begin to press those beliefs and say, you know what, maybe that's not true. We don't believe the world is flat. We believe the world is round or spherical. And so we believe that there's a different, different perspective here. And so they begin to venture out and indeed proved that you could go beyond your limits, that it wasn't flat after all. And so think about all the limited exploration before the time that people changed their belief. And so many times in life, you and I can have belief and belief systems that are limiting our life, that are keeping us from the exploration, from all the life that God wants us to live because we haven't challenged those beliefs. We haven't really looked at those beliefs in the light of God's word and understand what he says about them. And so what we want to do in life is we want to make sure that we are putting our beliefs into the light of God's structure of truth so that we're building our life on truths and not building our lives on lies. Amen? So important. And so we're going to talk today, as I said, about some basics of belief. I'm going to give you eight basic things that you need to understand about beliefs, but I want to challenge you that this message is only a beginner. This is sort of the, the, the beginning process of this eight weeks together, and I'm going to encourage you to be with me every weekend for these eight weekends as we look at various aspects of belief. But the first thing I want to share with you this weekend in terms of a basic of belief is this. Beliefs are the operating system of your spirit and your soul and your body. Body. Spirit, your spirit, soul, and body are being operated at some level by your belief systems. What I mean by that is this. Beliefs are operating below the surface of your life and they are setting your direction. You do things with your body based upon what you believe. You think things in your mind based upon what you believe to be true. There are certain attitudes and actions that are part of your life based upon your belief systems. And your beliefs are the software of your soul. They are running your life far more than you realize. Even subconsciously, your beliefs are creating much of your reality. Henry Ford made the statement many years ago. He said, the man who thinks he can and the man who thinks he can't are both right. 
What he meant by that is this. If you think you can, then you probably can. And if you think you can't, you probably can't. Because our belief systems are setting us up for a certain approach to life, a certain mindset that we approach life with and live live life according to. Let me take you to a story in the Bible that perhaps you are familiar with. If you are familiar with it, let me encourage you to think of it as though you've never heard it before. For some of you, it may be the first time you've been ever reflected on this story. But it's the story of Moses leading the children of Israel to the edge of the promised land, to a place called Kadesh Barnea. They've come out of Egypt as slaves, and now they're going to go into the promised land potentially. And this promised land, the land of Canaan, was a land flowing with milk and honey. It was a beautiful land. Phenomenal opportunities awaited them there. But before they enter the land, Moses said, I'm going to establish a, a, a reconnaissance team of 12 guys. I'm going to send them in to check the land out first and to come back and give me a report as to what the land really does look like. And so there are 12 guys that Moses sends in. Now, before I get into the story, you must understand that when these 12 guys go in and return, they end up in two different groups, two different mindsets. Ten of them come back with a certain way of thinking regarding Canaan, and two of them, the minority report, come back and have a different mindset regarding what the promised land was all about and the potential that was before them. That being said, let me take you to Numbers chapter 13, beginning in verse number 26. They, speaking of the spies, came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is the fruit. But, notice the word there, but, there's a big but right there, okay, with one T, by the way, just to make sure you understand that. But the people who lived there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there that, was, that represented giants. The Amalekites live in the Negev, the Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live near the sea along the Jordan. Then Caleb, this would have been one of those who was in the minority report, one of the two, Joshua and Caleb. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land for we can certainly do it. So what was Joshua's perspective? His perspective was we can. His mindset was, his belief was, this is a beautiful land before us. With God's grace, it's implied here, and God's power, we can do this. God's got this. It's going to be okay. We can do this. We can accomplish this. Now notice the next verse, verse 31. Here's another but. But the men who had gone up with him, this would be the other ten, said we can't. So Joshua said, Joshua and Caleb said, we can. The other ten, ten said we can't. So you've got two very distinct group, groups here based in two sets of beliefs, right? One believes we can, the other believes we can't. We can't attack these people. They're stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they'd explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there of great size. We saw the Nephilim there, the descendants of Anak come from Nephilim that would have represented the giants. We seemed like, notice this, we seemed like grasshoppers in whose eyes? Our own eyes. And we looked the same to them. So they said, we can't do this. 
In fact, there's all these giants in the land. Oh, it's a beautiful land. A lot of great fruit there. And it would be great to take it. But we can't do this because when we measured ourselves against them, we saw ourselves as grasshoppers compared to them. And because we saw ourselves as grasshoppers compared to them, that's the way they saw us. So there's something that's going on dynamically here related to their belief system. And you can see how these bad beliefs begin to limit the lives of these people. And what happened was they ended up not going into the promised land. Moses said, God speaking to Moses and through Moses, you're going to spend the next 40 years wandering around in the wilderness. And uh, all of those who are 20 years and older will die in the wilderness because you did not believe me. You did not have the same kind of faith that Joshua and Caleb did. Joshua and Caleb will go in, but you will not. And so they missed a tremendous opportunity because their belief system was not where it needed to be. The belief system in your life is the operating system. It is the software of your soul. Number two. Beliefs have a very practical impact on how you behave, choose, relate, work, interpret life, and interact with the world around you. There's a lot of words there, but every one of these are important. Let me take you back through this again. Beliefs have a very practical impact. Practical means it's not theoretical. It's real. It happens in your day-to-day living. Impact is a force or an effect upon you on how you behave. What you believe affects your behavior. It affects the choices you make. It affects the relationships you form or fail to form and how healthy they are. It affects how you go about your work. It affects how you interpret life events around you and how you interact with the world around you. Beliefs matter. Beliefs have impact. They have force and they have effect. Your beliefs are determining your level of happiness. Your beliefs are determining your level of fulfillment. Your beliefs are determining your level of productivity. Your beliefs are determining, to some degree, the dimension of performance in your life. Your beliefs are determining, as well, many of your values and many of your priorities. And your beliefs are even affecting how you speak. The words of your mouth are a reflection of the beliefs in your heart. The Apostle Paul made reference to this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse number 13, where he said, It is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. Since we have that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak. Paul said, because I have faith in my heart, I can't help it. It just comes out of my mouth. When I speak, I speak words of faith because I have words of faith in my heart. I have belief in me, and because belief is in me, belief comes out of me in my behavior and even in my language. Number three, beliefs are categorized in four primary ways. Beliefs about God, beliefs about ourselves, beliefs about people, and beliefs about the world. I'll give you a moment to write those down. There are four primary categories of belief. If I had a blackboard here this afternoon, I could perhaps draw this picture of your mind, your brain, if you will. Not so much your brain as the organic dimension of your brain, but your mind, what goes on in your brain, your thinking, okay? And in your mind, there, there's a software running, and that software is your belief system that's running everything. What you believe is affecting all these areas, impacting all these areas. And your belief system has four categories. You have beliefs about God. You believe certain things about it. Every person here has some belief about God. Even an atheist has a belief about God, right? Right? So you have some belief about God that's operating in your life. 
You have a belief about yourself. It's your, the way you view you. And I'll come back to these in a moment. You have a belief about other people. And you have a belief about how the world works. Okay, You, you kind of have to navigate the world. And so you believe that if you do certain things in the world, this is what's going to happen. You navigate the world based upon your beliefs about how things work in the world around you. So let's talk about these four for a moment. Let's talk about God, first of all. Everybody has some beliefs about God. Your beliefs about God matter. That's why you need to have the right beliefs about God. And as a part of this series, I'm going to talk to you about what should you believe about God? What does the Bible tell us about God? What should be our mindset when it comes to God? And that's why Hebrews 11 verse 6 says, Without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. If you're going to have a relationship with God, a good relationship with God, you have to have the right beliefs about God. If you, if you believe that God is an angry sort of old grandfather up in heaven that's looking for an opportunity to punish you, is that going to affect the way you relate to him? Of course it will. If you believe that God is a good God who loves you and wants you to be a part of his family and wants to do good things for you and bless and encourage your life, does that change the way you relate to him? Of course. So your beliefs about God really matter. I'm not talking about superficial beliefs. I'm talking about the software way down in your soul, okay, what you really believe about God. And then we're talking about what you believe about yourself. All of us have what we call self-talk. You tell yourself certain things about you. You believe certain things about you. Some of what you believe about you may not even be true about you. In fact, many of the things that you believe about you do not line up with what God says about you. Okay? And so you have to get to the place in your life where you're beginning to believe more that, that it's more accurate what God says about you than what you even say about you. That God's perspective of you really does matter. And so your beliefs are vital in that regard. There's a young man in the Bible, let me tell you the story, I'll read you part of it in a moment, who had to have a change, or at least Jesus was trying to bring a change in the way he thought about himself. Let me pick up the story in, Luke, in Mark chapter 10. As Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him, knelt down and asked, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He wanted to go to heaven, this man did. Why do you call me good, Jesus asked. Only God is truly good. That's another story, another lesson in and of itself. But to answer your question, Jesus says, you know the commandments. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. You must not cheat anyone. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, the man replied, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. Looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. There's still one thing you haven't done, he told him. Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. Let's stop there for a moment. So here's this situation where this man who is very wealthy comes to Jesus, but he's still concerned about the eternal destiny of his soul. Where am I going to go when I die? Okay, Am I going to go to heaven or not? So Jesus said, well, how about the commandment thing? You kept all the commandments. The guy said, hey, commandment department, I'm good, okay? And then Jesus, understanding something more about this man, knew that there was something missing in him, and he gave him a commandment that, as far as I can read in the Bible, is the only time Jesus ever gave this commandment to a person. He said, go sell everything and give all that you have to the poor. Now, there were people who did that without being commanded to, but this is the only time that I can find in Scripture where Jesus says specifically to a person, go sell everything you have and give it to the poor. Why would Jesus make that requirement of the man? Was Jesus upset because the man had money? 
No, it had nothing to do with the fact that the man had money. Not at all. But Jesus perceived something in this man. He realized that this man's self-worth was based upon his net worth. He realized that his identity was in his possessions. He realized that his identity and his security was found in the things that he could look around and say, that's mine, that's mine, that's mine, that's mine. And so all of his identity were in those things. And so it had nothing to do with the fact that he had money, but it had to do with the fact that his identity was being wrapped up in the things that were earthly things. And so Jesus said, sell all that stuff. And then you'll find this treasure in heaven. You'll find that you're worth and your identity is not based in anything other than a relationship with me. Let me tell you something, dear one. When you get to the place in your life that it doesn't matter if you have a million dollars in your pocket or nothing in your pocket, you still walk around with your head held high as a child of God. That's an amazing place to be. Okay? Because that's a place where your identity is not found in what you possess. The reason he was holding on to that stuff is because his identity was in it. And anytime you hold on to stuff tightly many times other than God, often it's because your identity, something of your self-worth is wrapped up in that. And so there comes that point when Jesus says, I want to help you to realize your identity and your self-worth, your beliefs about this need to shift and change. And of course, as we read in the next verse, this young man went away, his face fell, he went away sad because he had many possessions. Let me suggest that perhaps it would be better said for us in terms of explanation is that many possessions had him. He had many possessions, but many possessions had him as well. Your beliefs about other people matter. You know how you view other people affects how you relate to other people, does it not? One of the problems with our world today is the fact that we haven't gotten right how we ought to believe about other people. And when we get right how we believe about other people and we, we base it upon the truth of God's word, everything changes from a heart level, okay? Notice what Jesus said in Matthew 7, 1 and 2. Do not judge others and you will not be judged for you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. So it's talking about the fact that we create these judgments in our mind evil judgments toward other people and prejudice that's called prejudging other people before you know them and when you prejudge someone before you know them then what you've done is you've created this barrier in your relationship with them and you've already created animosity before there's an opportunity for there be to, there to be connection okay and so Jesus said don't do that don't let that kind of belief system dominate your life and then our belief about the world matters we we have certain mindsets about how the world works. There's some people that think the only way to get ahead is to go after what you want and go after it aggressively and get everything you can and can everything you get. Just do it. go after it. That's what life is all about. Now, I'm not speaking of the fact that we should not be appropriately proactive in the way we live our lives, but Jesus also said, blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth. Okay. So we have to start changing our beliefs to adjust to how Jesus said that we are to live our lives. Romans 12 verse 2 says, do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed. I'll come back to this word in a moment. By the renewing of your mind, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Number four. The fourth thing today is beliefs can be holy, right, healthy, and wholesome. Those are the words. I just want to give those over to you again. Holy, right, healthy, and wholesome. Or, obviously, the opposite of that. Unholy, wrong, unhealthy, and poisoned. They can be based on truth or they can be based on lies. Your beliefs are going to fit two primary 
if you will, large categories. We talked about the four different primary areas we're talking about in those four areas. Then they're either going to be holy, right, healthy, and wholesome, or unholy, wrong, unhealthy, and poisoned. Okay. They're going to be based on truth or they're going to be based on lies. You know, you can believe a lie and claim it as the truth, right? You can think a lie is true, right? There are people that go through their whole life basing their behavior on something that's a total lie, okay? And they may never discover, and some sometimes in life will discover, find, oh, that was a lie, and it changes everything when they realize... Something was a lie. They'd been deceived. And so we can, we can buy into things that, and claim things to be true that really are not true at all. And so our minds can be poisoned by this stuff. So you can have toxicity on the brain. I'm not talking about a, a, a physical pathology. I'm talking about toxicity in your thinking. You can be poisoned in the way you process thinking. In Acts chapter 14, verse 2, we have an example of this. As the Apostle Paul and Barnabas are going for the first missionary journey to a place called Iconium, and they're going to go there and preach the gospel, and they do so, and many people become, give, give their lives to Christ and give, put their faith in Jesus. But the Scripture says in verse number 2 of Acts 14, but the Jews who refused to believe stirred up the other Gentiles and, notice this, poisoned their minds, put toxins in their minds, or created unhealthy thinking against the brothers. You can let the wrong stuff get into your brain the wrong stuff get into your mind toxicity of the brain can affect you severely and I will tell you there's a lot of toxicity around us in the media today it's pouring out all you need to do is turn on the television I'm not necessarily even talking about bad programming you just listen to the news and toxicity pours out from the news broadcast are you with me today and so it's all around us, and before long, we can start believing this stuff. It can get into our system and create all kind of agitation in us and dysfunction in our lives. I love what Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse number 1. He tells us why he wrote two of his letters, First and Second Peter. He writes and says, Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I have written both of them. I wrote 1 Peter and I wrote 2 Peter. I've written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to do what? You see that? Peter said the whole reason I took the time to write 1 Peter and the whole reason I took the time to write 2 Peter is because I wanted you to remember some things that you need to remember. See, there's some things that we, we, we need to remember in life. And it's so easy to forget things that we need to remember. And it's so easy to remember things we need to forget. And so Peter says, I wrote these things so that you can remember these things. And I, wanna, I want this remembrance to stimulate you to what kind of thinking? Wholesome thinking. Why would Peter write that? Because he knows the value of wholesome thinking. He knows the value of getting the poison off of your brain. To make sure that you're thinking holy and healthy and wholesome thoughts. Number five, fifth thing. Beliefs are influenced. Influence the key word there by upbringing and early life exposures and experiences. I'm going to give this to you very quickly here. I told you the first point that your, your, your beliefs are the, represent the software system of your soul, right? So, so as you're living through life, you don't think about it, but your beliefs are running your life like a software package, an operating system that are, that's working behind the scenes here, okay? It's your belief system driving you to decisions, what you believe. God, self, others, and the world, okay? 
The thing about software is that software doesn't just appear. Software has to be developed. It has to be written. Right? Correct? Okay. I mean, software doesn't create itself, right? Software is written. Software is developed, right? And there are people that write software. They develop software. And so they sit, you know, and figure out all this code. And they code this stuff. And then you end up with a software package that is put on your, 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 your computer or on your, your, your smart device. And it does things because somebody wrote that. They developed it to do that, okay? Now, in the software system of your beliefs and your mind, your software in your brain has been developed. It didn't just show up. It's been developed. Now, you inherited some of it by your sinful nature, right? Because all of us are born into the world as sinners, and so we came into the world with some warped software to begin with, right? Okay? You had virus from day one, okay? Right? You with me here? Okay? You had malware from day one, okay? Day, day one, you came. As soon as you went, wah! Malware, okay? Right? Day one. So we entered the world. We already had this malware stuff going on. And then, then through our life exposures and through our life experiences, things get written into our remembrances, our mind, okay? They get stored. See, you know that all your memories are still stored in your brain? All your memories are still stored right there in a the different part of your brain. I've been doing some reading recently. The brain is, fun, is just amazing, an amazing organ, amazing function it has in terms of different parts and different things that different parts of your brain will do. But you've got all these memories stored up in your head, but you've had life exposures and life experiences. Let me explain what I mean by that. Let's say that you grow up in life in a family. You're exposed to a pretty healthy family and fairly intact. You're, you're you know, not, no, no, no perfect families at all, but you're exposed to a good environment. You're nurtured emotionally and you know, people love you and take care of you. They pay attention to you, those kind of things. They discipline you when you miss the mark. They kind of, all that good stuff happens to you. Then what that helps to do is it helps to write software in your brain that you'll carry with you. And so healthy families produce healthy kids who become healthy adults, right? Okay. Who then hopefully produce more healthy adults, right? Okay. So the more healthy the family, the more healthy the kids, which produces more healthy propagation of our culture, our society, right? With me here on this, right? Okay. Now let's flip it around. You've got an environment that's not so healthy. Maybe it's an abusive environment. Maybe it's a, an alcoholic environment. Maybe it's whatever the case might be. It's very disrupted. It's very unpredictable. It's a w- very wild, dysfunctional environment that you grow up in. Maybe there's uh, emotional abuse there. Maybe even physical abuse or otherwise. Things that happen. You see it. You ex- you're exposed to it. Or you experience it. Will that write a different software in your, in your mind? Will it? So when you grow up and you try to go into a relationship, what happens? What software are you carrying with you? Not just the malware you got when you were born. You picked up some other viruses and malware with you as you went through those life exposures and experiences. Here's the good news. God is an amazing rewriter of software. Okay? Okay? He really is. Okay, He really is. Okay, Now... He's able to rewrite your software, okay? Now, that's a process, okay? It doesn't like all of a sudden just happen. We're going to talk about that process more. But there's this process that goes on that God can help you with. But what I want you to see is that what you're carrying around with you is is the result of the life experiences and exposures you've had. And that awareness can make you pay attention to stuff that otherwise you wouldn't pay attention to so you can get God engaged with you in the process of rewiring or reprogramming some of this in your thinking. Amen? All right, let's go to the next one together. Number, number six, I believe we are, right? Right beliefs make life better. Wrong beliefs make life harder and make you miserable. 
Wrong beliefs make you miserable. Let me give you a story really quickly. I want to wrap this up pretty soon here. But I want to give you a quick story that will show you how much better beliefs will make your life, right beliefs will make your life better. It's a story of a man by the name of Joshaphat in the Bible, 2 Chronicles chapter 20. He was a king of the southern kingdom of Judah. It's a little bitty nation, little bitty army. And one day Jehoshaphat hears that there are three big armies coming against his one little army. And of course it alarms him. He's afraid. What am I going to do? And he calls all the people of Judah together and says, we've got to fast and pray. We need to talk to God. We need God to come on the scene to help us in this situation. And so they fast and pray and God shows up. And, and, and there's a prophet that begins to speak there in that situation. And now notice what the prophet said to them. Second Chronicles chapter 20, the Bible says in verse 15. And he said, that's the prophet said, listen, all, of you, all you of Judah and you inhabitants of Jerusalem and you King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid nor dismayed because of this great multitude for the battle is not yours but God's tomorrow go down against them they will surely come up by the ascent of Ziz and you will find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness of Jeruel you will not need to fight in this battle position yourselves stand still and see the salvation of the Lord who is with you O Judah and Jerusalem do not fear or be dismayed tomorrow go out against them for the Lord is with you so let me just boil this down basically the prophet of God speaking on God's behalf says this is what you to do don't worry God says, I got this. All I want you to do is this. I want you to mar all of the army, go out, and I want you to get in position and position yourself and then just stand there. Doesn't sound like a great way to win a battle, does it, okay? Just get in a position and stand. Now, there was one more part of this, this strategy that God had that I didn't read here. And the other part of the strategy was God said, by the way, as you're heading to the battlefield, get all the singers and put them out in front. That's not the time to be a part of the choir, by the way, all right? It's like, okay. But get all the singers out in front, and I want them to sing one little song, give thanks to the Lord, His love endures forever. That's all I want you, just one little song, give thanks to the Lord, His love endures forever. So send the singers out, and then all the army come by, and when you get to the right place, everybody just get in your position and stand there. Now this was on one evening, they have to wake up the next morning and do this. Let's go now to the next, next part of the story. We're looking at verse number 20 now. So they rose early in the morning and went out in the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem. What's the next word? Come on, church. What's the word? Believe. Believe in the Lord your God and you shall be established. What's that word again? Believe his prophets and you shall prosper. What was Jehoshaphat sending them into battle with? What word is re repeated twice there? Believe. Your beliefs are going to matter in this battle. You're not going to battle with physical stuff. You're going to battle with your belief, okay? So you go and stand. You believe what the prophet told you, and you will be established. You believe in the Lord your God, and you will prosper. That is, you stand upon the promise that God has given to you. Believe it. And they did so. They went in, and they stood their place in faith, in belief, with the right belief in their mind. And their belief led them to a better life. They won the battle. God fought the battle for them and drove all of those enemies away, and they were able to experience an amazing victory and not only did they have a victory they got all the plunder of all of those enemies that had come came against them and their belief actually resulted in them being not only taken delivered from the situation but even blessed in the situation so your beliefs matter they matter and they lead you to a better life number seven the seventh thing 
Wrong beliefs are the primary way that Satan binds and destroys lives. What's the primary way that Satan will get into your life? Right there. In your mind, in your thinking. Always been the case. You can read this in Genesis chapter 3. The very first time that Satan shows up in the pages of Scripture, he shows up in the form of a serpent in the Garden of Eden. God had placed Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And by the way, I do believe there was a Garden of Eden, and I do believe there was an Adam and an Eve. Okay? And God places them in the Garden of Eden, and he says, you can have anything you want here. Any of the trees you want to eat of, have a good time, enjoy yourself. This is your garden. You take care of it. You rule over it. This is your place. One thing, just one thing. There's one tree I put here, a tree of knowledge of good and evil. Don't, don't eat of that tree. The day you'll eat of it, the day you die. You separate yourself from my life. Why did God put that tree there? Because God wanted Adam and Eve to relate to him on the basis of obedience and love in their own will, not on the basis of being puppets, okay? And so they have a choice to make. And so every day, they've got all these beautiful trees to eat from, one tree they have to stay away from. And the serpent shows up one day and says, Hey, Eve, can I talk to you for a minute? I'm not sure he really said that, okay? But <laughs> it's kind of like the way it works, right? And Eve entered into a conversation with the serpent because he was crafty, okay? You always know that you're headed for trouble when you start a conversation with the devil, all right? She didn't realize it, but she started a conversation with the serpent. And the serpent didn't say, go eat that tree, eat that tree right now, disobey God. He didn't say that. He said, did God really say, did God really say you shouldn't eat from that tree? Question mark. Are you really believing that? Do you really believe that God said not to eat of that tree? So what was, he, what was the serpent going after initially? thinking, right? Because if he could get in her mind and cause her to question and question what she believed about what God said, then now he's got her headed down the pathway. And then ultimately, you can read of this in Genesis chapter 3, what happens is from that point of, did God really say, he finally gets her to the place, well, you know, God really didn't say that. The whole deal with God is, you really can't trust him anyway. He didn't really say all these things, but in essence, he's bringing her to that place. Because actually, if you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you're going to be wise, you're going to have this, all this knowledge. And so actually, who you think is a good God is really trying to keep good things from you. And so he warped her mindset of God. He warped her beliefs about God and she ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because her belief system changed about God. She failed to remember who God really was and that God's word and God's command was always the best. And so it led her down the pathway. The same is true for you and me. That the enemy, the battleground in your life, the reason why this series is so important is because the biggest battleground in your life happens between your ears. Okay? Right? That is the biggest battleground in your life. Listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Can I have five more minutes? Is it okay? I'm actually going to take it anyway, but <laughs> a, I guess you'll just have to get up and leave if you don't want me to. But uh, I think you'll appreciate staying with me for an extra five minutes or ten. <laughs> for though we live in the world, 
We do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive what? Every thought to make it what? Obedient to Christ. That's the battleground. Last point I'll give you today. Part of spiritual repentance and growth involves challenging and changing your beliefs about God, yourself, others, and the world. Challenging, changing. I'm going to take you to the life and ministry of Jesus for a moment and then one final passage from Paul and we'll be done today. When Jesus began his earthly ministry, he was 30 years of age. And so he, was, he started his earthly ministry by going to the River Jordan. And he was baptized by John the Baptist. He comes up out of the water. The Father affirms him as his son in whom he's well pleased. And then Jesus goes immediately into the wilderness where he's tempted. You can read about this in Matthew chapter 3 and Matthew chapter 4. He's tempted by the adversary, the devil. Three main temptations that Jesus faces there in Matthew chapter 4. Then he comes out of the wilderness in the power of the Spirit and he preaches his first message, okay? It's the first message that Jesus will ever preach that's recorded for us that we have. And the first message that Jesus preached is found in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, all right? From that time on, Jesus began to preach. Read read his, his, his message with me. What was it? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near, okay? What was the first word that Jesus used in his first message? What is it? Repent, okay? There's a law, a a biblical study called the law of first mention, okay? The law of first mention means that you give some special attention to the first time something is mentioned in Scripture or mentioned in relationship to a particular passage of Scripture. And the law first mentioned here relates to the word repent. Jesus, the very first word that Jesus said when he started his ministry was repent. If you're going to understand anything about me at all and how to relate to me, you're going to have to learn something about repentance, okay? Because you can't really enter into my kingdom without learning something about repentance. So it's very important that we understand this word repentance. A lot of us have a bad concept of repentance because we think, oh, repent or you're going to go to hell or something of that nature. And there are applications of that 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 have meaning to it. But I want you to see that it's a much broader term. The actual word repentance, it's a Greek word that's made up of two words. And the words are, actually the the compound word is metanoia. That's the word, metanoia. And the word metanoia primarily means the changing of your thinking in a way that changes your behavior. Okay? Jesus said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near you. Okay? I'm ready to do something. I'm near. I want to get into your world. I want to get into your life. But I can't. But the door in is by you doing something, and that something is to help me out. What is it? Repent. Okay? Now, that is to change your mind. That is to realize that... Anytime that you and I realize that we're building our lives on a lie, okay, we're building our lives on a lie about God, a lie about how God views us, a lie about 
how we view other people, a lie about how we view the world around us that is inconsistent with how God views the world. Anytime that we realize that we have bought into a lie and we turn around and say, God, I I now see the truth. I'm turning toward you. That's called repentance, okay? It is the changing of your mind. It is replacing a lie with the truth, all right? It is replacing unrighteousness with righteousness. It is replacing unholiness with holiness. It is replacing turning away from God to turning toward God. That's what repentance is all about, okay? Moving in the direction of God. So the Bible says if we're going to experience all that God has for us, there has to be this repentance thing. And repentance is not a one-time thing. Repentance is something you do your entire Christian experience, okay? It's key to your growth. That the more you can recognize the moments when, oh, I'm living under the influence of a lie about God. I repent. Now I see who God is. I turn in his direction. I'm living under a lie about how I'm viewing myself based upon how God views me. I'm now repenting and turning toward God. Then we welcome the kingdom. We welcome God to rule in that area of our life. So we're welcoming him in at that moment. Now let's go to the next passage. Luke chapter 15. In the same way, these are the words of Jesus again, in the same way I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who does what? I love this verse. Listen to it again. Jesus said, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who does what? There's that word again. There's that word again, okay? Now, usually we think about heaven rejoicing over one sinner that repents. We think about it when people give their lives to Christ and we talk about, oh, heaven, the angels are rejoicing in heaven because somebody gave their life to Christ. And that's true. They do rejoice. Let me help you to understand this. This changed my perspective of this verse. I'd never seen it before until I was studying this for the series. Do you know that every time you and I, no matter how long we've been walking with Jesus, every time you and I come to the point of realizing, whoa, I need to change that in my life so it's consistent with the right beliefs about God, the right beliefs about myself in relationship to God and other people and the world around me. Anytime that you and I recognize that and turn toward God, heaven has a party. Okay? There's rejoicing and every time you and I repent, it's not just the first time sinner. Anytime you as a sinner today turn away from something that is blocking your relationship with God, heaven goes, awesome, that's amazing, let's have a party. I wasn't sure that guy was ever going to get it, but boy, he finally got it. Hallelujah. Let's all celebrate. Okay, right? And so what I'm hoping will happen over the next eight weeks, I hope that there'll be an unending party going on in heaven because there are a lot of us doing some repenting and the Bible says, wow, I mean, there's just like an ongoing party in heaven because, well, look at all those people down there at Church of the Redeemer. Man, I've never seen so much repentance in all my life. We just have to have a party 24-7, okay? Right? So there's a rejoicing, there's a joy that comes to the heart of God. See, repentance is not a bad thing. Repentance is a good thing. It's turning from a lie to the truth. Romans 12, verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed. That word is the word metamorphosis. That's where we get our word metamorphosis from. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind, the renewing of your 
mind, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. I'm going to ask you, if you will, to reach down to the left-hand side of the aisle. On the left-hand side of the aisle, there is a purple bag. If you'll pick up that purple bag and reach in it, grab one of these cards uh, and pass that bag down as quickly as you possibly can. We're going to do this very, very fast here today. We want to help you over the next several weeks to engage in this repentance renewing of the mind process. And so I want to make sure that everybody gets one. So just pass that bag all the way down the aisle. And you can, once it gets to the end of the aisle, you can just set it down there to the right-hand side. Here's what I want to challenge every one of you to do. I want you to, you, 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 you can do this. What I'm going to challenge you to do is something you can do. Turn to your neighbor right now and just go ahead and tell them, before they even know what it is, tell them you can do this. Go ahead and tell them you can do this, all right? All right? You can do this, all right? I want you to take 10 minutes a day for five days a week, right? Everybody in this room, you have 10 minutes in your day. Just shave off 10 minutes from your Facebook time, okay? That's all you got to do, okay? Everybody's got 10 minutes your day. You can, do, you can find 10 minutes. I want you to take 10 minutes a day and break it into five two-minute segments. That's all I want you to do. This is a little exercise for you. So I've got 10 minutes. I'm going to break the 10 minutes into five two-minute segments. All right, just think of it like a clock. All right, start my reading, reflection, prayer, praise, and beliefs. Well, I'm going to cover these in a moment. Two minutes each going around the clock. Turn to the back side, and I'm calling it Take 10. Here's, the, here's what you'll do. You'll start out with some kind of devotional reading. It could be what you're already doing. Maybe you're reading your Bible, but to spend some time for at least two minutes focusing on something devotional. It could be, as I said, any of, those, uh, res- any of the resources that you use on a regular basis. But this is Bible stuff. This is, not, this is not two minutes reading Time magazine, okay, all right? This is reading something from the Bible. I have some devotionals that uh, we have several uh, Espresso for the Spirit devotionals. I think we have three of them that have been published so far. Uh, we have, these are, are good resources for you. In fact, I have two here today I'd love to give away. And so if, I, if, if you'll raise your hand, if you'd like to have a copy of this, this lady right back here and the green. No, right back. Yeah, you had your, yeah, you. You're looking, yep, you're the real one, exactly right. Come on down, all right? Is it green or maybe it's blue, all right? And so, and right back here on the edge, lady with the blonde hair, right here. I say, yep, that's you. Come on down, and here we'll give you these. All right, I only have two to give away. You can go buy them at the Resource Center if you'd like to have them. But these are, these are two to give away for you today. But this is a resource that'll get you started if you promise to use it, right, okay? There are other resources. You can go to church-redeemer.org and just slash take 10, and it'll tell you a lot of different ways you can find resources is that you can spend two minutes on every day, five days a week, all right? Then the next two minutes, you're going to spend reflection. What did I just read here? What did it say to me? You might want to keep a journal, uh, something of that nature. Maybe you just think about it, but there are two minutes, you're thinking about what you read, all right? How does this apply to my life? The next two minutes is prayer, okay? I'm going to spend two minutes praying about what I just read, what I just thought about. What's the application in my life? What do I need God to help me with in, re- in, re- in reflection upon this? And then the next two minutes will be two minutes of praise and thanksgiving. And what I want to encourage you to do during that time is to do nothing for two minutes except praise God and thank God. You can't sneak in a request, okay? It's only two minutes, solid, just thanksgiving. You might want to even, another good, good, good suggestion for this is to create a, thanks, giving, create a gratitude journal. Just to spend two minutes writing out what you're grateful for. 
Science has proven that just a gratitude journal can make all the difference in your perspective of life. But just do something where for two minutes you're giving thanks, and then the final two minutes, what did I learn this week at church that I need to practice in terms of my beliefs? And this will unfold for you more as we go through the series together, but there will be something from today's message that for the next five days you can go back and say, I need to work on that area. What he talked about there, what God talked to me about there is something for me to focus on based upon the message we're looking at on the weekend. So those are five things. It's the take 10, two minutes, five activities, uh, five days a week. That's 50 minutes a week that you'll be giving to God. And I promise you, you'll never regret giving any time to God. God always gives back when you give to him. All right. So if you're going to do that, I would challenge you to do it. Go to the front side again. And I want you to write your name. Why? We're not collecting names. It's for you. Okay. Write your name, put the check there and then tear it off like this. There's a brown paper bag to the right-hand side of the aisle. We're going to pass that back down. And when you drop that little thing in, what you're saying is, I'm in, okay? I'm in on the take 10, all right? I'm in for this thing. I'm going to do this thing by God's grace. Now, if you miss a day along the way, don't get discouraged. Don't give up. Don't quit. Just go back and get started the next day. Don't let it be a legalistic thing that you do, but let it be a relationship thing that you do with your life. Amen? So go ahead and drop that in. Sign your name there. Pass those bags down down and now we're going to pray together. You can continue to pass those bags down as we're praying. It'll be fine. It'll certainly be fine. So let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity we've had today to study your word. We're grateful for you speaking to us. We ask you to take this message and help us to live it out in our lives in Jesus' name. I would like to close today by giving you an opportunity to ask Jesus to be the Lord of your life. Would you pray with me right now? Right where you are, just simply bow your head with me and I'm going to give you a prayer to pray and you can simply speak this prayer out, whisper this prayer out and from the sincerity of your heart, call upon God and I promise you that He will hear and answer you. So let's pray together. Start by simply whispering the name Jesus. Let there come uh, from your heart just the declaration of His name. Say, Jesus. I know that, that I am a sinner, that I have fallen short with you. I'm sorry for all of my sins. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you are God's Son. I believe that you are the Savior of the world. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. And I believe that you rose from the grave, that you are alive today. Now pray these words. Say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Give me a new start in you. I commit my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me, I want to encourage you with a promise from God's Word that says that when we call upon God's name, we call upon the Son of God, there is salvation that comes to our lives. He changes us from the inside out, and you become a new creation. All things pass away. All things become new. And that's exactly what has happened to you today. Your next step really is to make sure that you get into a good Bible-believing church. And you begin to study God's Word, get God's Word in you, and to make sure that you get a copy of the Bible if you don't have one and begin to read it. Spend some time every day in prayer. And I would encourage you also to check out the resources on our website that will help you to get going in your relationship with Jesus. You can find them at church-redeemer.org. Get those into your hands. Get started in your new life with Jesus Christ. Thanks again for joining us today. May God bless you, and we look forward to seeing you next time. 
If you've prayed with a pastor today and made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, we have some resources for you on our website. Just go to church-redeemer.org slash a new you. We pray that this message was a blessing to you.